Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for time to gather for your word, and we pray that uh, you would open our eyes up tonight uh, more to your truth, that you would plow up our hard hearts, and that you might implant the seeds of the gospel there, and that your Holy Spirit indeed would water them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this semester we're going to be talking about uh, love, uh, relationships, and um, family. Uh, we're not going to be talking about six-year-olds forced to, to kill puppies, um, but uh, but we are going to be talking about uh, sort of family and, and dynamics. And why, I think, uh, to talk about that, a couple things. Uh, one, I, I think that there are all kinds of crazy understandings about what love really is uh, in in the world today. And, um, and so I think that we probably need to set the record straight. I need to be reminded of what love uh, really is. And uh, another thing is uh, all of us uh, uh, have loved, uh, are loving, uh, will love uh, someone in our lives, not necessarily romantically, uh, but uh, I hope that that most of your uh, close relationships in your life are marked by love and how that ought to manifest itself. Uh, Also, uh, just we're all involved in relationships at some level, whether it's with other family members or whether it's... uh, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a fiance, uh, whatever the case may be. And uh, so talk about some of the dynamics there. Uh, dynamics and, and what uh, love looks like in marriage. And then um, uh, along the way, we'll be just talking about how love manifests itself in, in family life. Uh, because I think that all of us in here, um, uh, when it comes to love, it's one of the things that we all have a lot of baggage uh, about. You know, Some people have baggage and some people have U-Haul trailers. And uh, at, at some point, uh, all of us have, have either been burned or burned somebody else in that category. And I remember <clears throat> when Lauren and I were engaged, uh, Lauren's my wife, um, uh, we started dating um, the June before I went off to seminary in England. And so we literally had an ocean between us as, as we dated. And, um, and if we had lived in close proximity to one another like 50 miles, um, we never would have gotten married. We would have killed each other long before that. Uh, in fact, at one point in our relationship while we were dating, uh, she always, um, I don't know why I'm wearing this because it just gets recorded and gets me in a lot of trouble, but at one point she always knew like the worst time to call me in seminary. Intuitively, she knew like he's got a big deadline, he has exams, whatever it is. And, um, and that's when she would call and, and pick a fight and one night, night before an exam, uh, she was just going, it was, and I said, well, that's it. We're done. We're through. One of the great things about me living in England at the time was I didn't have a cell phone, and it was awesome. Like, no one could bother me. And, uh, but it really bothered Lauren because I would literally walk in from after class, and the phone would ring. I, like, walk in the room, and it would all of a sudden start ringing like an alarm. And then it was Lauren. She would go, where were you? I'm like, living? <laughs> I mean, I went to class. Well, uh, where Anyway, uh, so one night we had this huge knockdown drag out. We broke up and I knew what would happen. So as soon as we broke up, I unplugged the phone. I unplugged the phone. This is no joke. Went, took my exam the next day, got back to my room, plugged it back in, and the phone immediately rang. She'd been calling nonstop. Uh, and so we had our difficulties. Uh, that was just a very minor issue. We ended up getting engaged, of course, and then we were married. And when we went and did our premarital counseling, this very lovely Christian couple that did our premarital counseling just assumed Andrew's going to be an ordained minister. 
and Lauren's going to be a minister's wife. How cute. And, um, and like they, they've just, they've got their act together, right? They, they know what they're doing. And so I think they totally left out a ton of stuff along the way. Like they definitely said like, you know, there are going to be times in, in your relationship where things are going to get a little bit tough. They didn't tell me like, I'm going to want to kill this person, right? <laughs> like I, divorce is not an option, but murder might be. And like, there are going to be times in this relationship where this is really, really hard. And, uh, nobody, really told me that. No one really managed that expectation uh, of what it would look like. And before I got married, I thought I was a pretty decent person. I thought I was pretty great. Most people would say, he's so generous and he's fun to be around and, you know, everything that y'all think of me. And, um, and then I got married and very early on, I was like, I'm a selfish jerk. Like, I am really, really selfish. I mean, think about the most trivial of issues that you deal with in life. How about um, dinner? Okay. So like tonight, like after Bible study, you're like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go bowling. And then at about uh, 2 a.m., what's the name of the, the really sort of mediocre uh, pita place down by UAB? Uh, yeah, thank you. So and at like 2 a.m., I'm like, I'm going to roll down there and get me a little falafel. And you go down, you do it, and really nobody questions you maybe someone actually might want to come along with you. It's not a big deal. And so uh, when you're when you're single, you eat uh, what you want, uh, where you want, when you want. You get married, and the most trivial of decisions, dinner, becomes incredibly complicated and fraught with disaster. So I'm a meat and three kind of guy. I like eating at a normal time. Growing up where I grew up, I had to be home before the Baptist church bells stopped ringing. It was an electronic system and it would play hymns. And I knew that if it was like, if it started playing just as I am without one play, I could get from my friend Owen's house home, no problem. If it started up Amazing Grace, I had to hightail it. Like it was, it was a shorter run. Uh, and, and I got home and like dinner was there, 6.15 on the table. I got used to that. I like that. Uh, then I married Lauren, and like a lot of girls, um, her preferences in food are overpriced, small portions, and normally an ethnic theme, typically Mediterranean. <laughs> and and that's just, that's sort of her vibe. And she likes eating like she's French, like at nine o'clock at night, and that drives me bonkers. And so here's this very easy decision uh, of of dinner that becomes very complicated. So when the Bible talks about the two becoming one, it's more than just the whole physical thing, but it's two lives coming together. And it's not like this nice melding of, oh, we're a team. It's like two tectonic plates going. (laughs) And eventually it settles into uh, what we know as the Rocky Mountains. And, you know, it's just all kind of, it finally settles down. But um, one of the things that, um, that, uh, I had to constantly go to in the Bible was um, what uh, Jesus uh, had to say uh, about love. I mean, he's the ultimate embodiment of love. And what does real love look like? Because what I thought I needed in life out of love and what I really needed uh, were two different things. There's a prayer attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. You've probably heard it. It says, you know, where there is discord, let me sow peace, um, where there is this, let me be that, 
Um, it's a nice little prayer, and lots of people have it up on their refrigerators and think it's very nice. Um, and and I knew that prayer, and I can remember praying it in church, uh, and came to find out I didn't believe a word of that, <laughs> right? Uh, because uh, my perspective is like I was much more interested in being loved uh, than actually loving uh, anybody else, because this is what love looks like. So we're going to look um, mainly at Ephesians 5. Um, but tonight we're going to look in the Gospel of John, starting in John chapter 3, a very popular location. I have the world's smallest print Bible. Again, uh, starting with John uh, 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved uh, through him. So this is an incredibly popular verse. Um, People put it up on billboards. It's the most quotable verse. If you go uh, to a hotel, like a Gideon Bible, typically in the front, it has John 3.16 translated in like 25 different languages so that anyone who might be staying at Motel 8 can read John 3.16 in their their native tongue. Um, uh, But um, Jesus has just had a conversation with Nicodemus, who's an institutional religious guy, and he comes to him at night so that... uh, so that people can't see that he's coming to Jesus. But he's very interested in Jesus because he's just cleared out the temple. And the Pharisees and the scribes are thinking, this is our kind of guy. Like he's come to totally wreck shop. And he has this conversation with Nicodemus that talks about being born again. And Nicodemus is like, you're crazy. And it's very easy for us to say, oh, Nicodemus, how foolish you are. But if you you go home tonight and you read John 3, verses 1 through 15, you tell me if you wouldn't say Jesus was crazy. Right? It, it, I mean, it's easy for us as Christians on this side of the resurrection to understand what Jesus was talking about. But in the midst of it, if somebody said, you have to be born again, you would think just like Nicodemus. That's impossible. And not only that, but Nicodemus has this wrong idea about Jesus, that he's come to wreck shop and establish this new moral order on the face of the earth. And even today, people are kind of, there are people who think that, that Jesus' primary job is to whip everybody into shape. Jesus is like the greatest supernatural Richard Simmons that has walked the face. Not Birmingham Richard Simmons, but New Orleans Richard Simmons, sweating to the oldies, right? And uh, that that is Jesus' job, that his job is he's going to take you and he's going to make you the person that you've always wanted to be. Now, um, you do change. Uh, God does affect a change in your life, but very rarely it is in the way that you think that it was going to be. And sometimes it's not even perceptible in your life. And so Jesus is saying, look, my prim- yes, of course, when I walk into somebody's life, there's a certain wreckage that occurs. Jesus undoes you. And there are plenty of stories about that in the New Testament where Jesus enters into somebody's life and they're completely undone. I'm amazed by the number of interactions that Jesus has with people, whether he's healed them, uh, raised them from the dead, done something miraculous like that, and almost never, ever do you hear a response from them. 
Why? What is there to say? Wait a minute. <laughs> right? Uh, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing to say. And um, uh, there are even instances where, where they, they haven't even asked uh, to be uh, healed. Jesus just simply goes and he does it and, and their lives are, are changed uh, forever. And so there is a sense in which Jesus comes and does um, some wreckage, some reshaping in somebody's life. Uh, but he says this to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here is Jesus declaring to the world, to Nicodemus and to us, because here we are 2,000 years later reading his words, um, that love is primarily a one-way action. Love is primarily a one-way action. Uh, Later on in the New Testament, um, uh, Paul writes that at just the right time, at just the right time, God sent Jesus into the world to save us. Right, at just the right time. So there was nothing particularly exciting about the time when, when God entered the world. It, I mean, the world was a total mess, but when has it not been a mess? Right? Uh, the world has not necessarily gotten better or worse. Original sin is evenly distributed through time, place, people. It's not like there's no such thing as the good old days, and there's no such thing as, well, life was really bad back then. It just, I mean, sin existed the way it does now. It just manifests itself in a different way. Uh, and so God coming into the world at that time, that was his own choosing. And it was at just the right time, choosing Mary to be born. Uh, and uh, he enters into um, the scene and God in his infinite and perfect love comes into the it wasn't as if anybody was saying, God, now would be a really good time. Although I kind of say that every once in a while, right? I mean, there are times in my life where I'm just like, I've really blown it. Now would be a good time to come back <laughs> before I have to go home uh, or, or whatever it might be. Um, but uh, God comes into the world without anybody really asking him. Why? Because love doesn't wait for people to ask to be loved. Right? If he had waited, we never would have asked. We never would have asked. Love always takes the initiative. And there's something terribly frightening and fearful about that, especially in human relationships. I have a friend, um, a fraternity brother, and he went with his girl to, um, he really thought this girl was, was so uh, wonderful and great. And um, he went to uh, a formal with her, and uh, she thought he was okay, but he was really much more into her than, than she was into him. And um, they're sitting there, and uh, she knew this, and they're just sort of sitting, and the band had stopped playing, and there was just some music in the background, and, and they were talking, and uh, she said something um, about um, something, and I guess he misunderstood, and, and, and he kind of looked at her, and he said, I love you too. And she was just kind of taken back, and she looked at him, and all of a sudden he looked at her and was completely overwhelmed with fear and trepidation, and he he, he just didn't know what to say. And then it dawned upon her that the music in the background was the band U2, and he was just simply making the comment, I love the band U2. He wasn't actually saying, I love 
you too. And yet, it became the elephant. They, they got married. They're married now. <laughs> uh, but it, it was sort of the, uh, it became the elephant in the road. But like, I mean, at some point, like, I mean, he, he saw the opportunity. So you can always fall back on that, like a lame excuse, like, oh, yeah, I was talking about the band. Um, but uh, in, in any sort of relationship, you have to put yourself out there and be vulnerable. And that is really scary because what if you say, I mean, and I'm not even talking about love, but like, I really like you. <laughs> right. That uh, is scary because it means that the person saying that is is making themselves what? Vulnerable. Right. I mean, does anybody say uh, things that I like? Vulnerability. <laughs> nobody, nobody likes to be vulnerable. It's a terrible feeling. Why? Because you've put yourself out there and you've said, um, I like you, and it's just there, and it's really up to the person who you've said this to, to respond. And if they say, like uh, a friend of mine in high school, um, a boy went up to her, uh, her name's Jeannie, and said, Jeannie, um, we've been dating for like four months now. You know, in high school, that's forever. Uh, we've been dating for four months, and, and I love you. And her response was, I love me too. Uh, <laughs> Right? I mean, you can you can go, but I mean, it's scary because I mean it's scary because you you're you're putting you're putting yourself out there for rejection, right? And so, but I mean, God does this on such a, an incredible scale that He comes to Earth as a child, as not even as a child, as a as a baby. Can you think of anything more vulnerable than that? Right? I mean, there's no stage of human existence that is as vulnerable as a baby, right? I mean, even when you get old, you can still kind of take your cane and, you know, you know, get away from me. Uh, you can at least articulate, go away. Uh, but uh, but the, there you are, you're, you're a little baby. And that's how God uh, enters. He not only comes in the world and says, uh, I love you, but he comes in the world uh, as a baby, as vulnerable as you could possibly be. And... Uh, he does it knowing uh, that the world's answer is, I don't like you. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, I, I reject you. Uh, and to the extent of, I not only reject you, I'm going to kill you. Right. Now, any of us here, if, if somebody said to us, I don't like you, we would kind of think that's it, right? That's, well, it's been real. Uh, and and you kind of you kind of move on, but but if it's real love, right? Uh, real, and I'm not talking about like dating persistence wears down resistance, like you will love me, uh, kind of uh, sort of Walker <laughs> County type thing. I'm talking about um, I'm talking about a real love, and you see this. You see this uh, in a relationship between a parent and a child, especially if the child has kind of gone off the deep end and is is kind of like told their parents, get away from me, I don't want anything to do with you, and yet the parents will go to the end of the earth uh, pursuing that child in order to save them uh, even uh, from themselves. And so the thing about God's love is it's it's one way. It, it doesn't ask. It doesn't even ask for uh, reciprocation. God's love for you is not even dependent upon your response. For God so loved the world, that's a pretty blanket statement, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We'll get to the tail end as we move through the series. But so, I mean, the core is that for those who say um, receive that love, right, uh, they enter into a relationship with God, a personal relationship. They fellowship with him and that love grows and they understand the depths and just how amazing uh, that love is. But what about those uh, who say, no, thank you. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus has come in this one-way love not to condemn the world. I, mean, I, I have more conversations about people who sort of see God as just the mean dean. Right? That they actually say, I feel like God is just in the condemning business. It's like, well, what, what does God say? <laughs> like, he came in the world not to condemn the world, but in the world, or in order that the world might be saved through him. And I understand why they articulate that, because the church is often in the business of condemning a lot of things. Now, that doesn't mean that if there's some sort of injustice or something awful going on at the church and that Christians and that God would say, this is a bad thing, right? Famine, war, genocide, right? Those things are, you know obviously worthy of condemnation. But what we're talking about here are are people, right? And so his main purpose is not to come into the world to condemn the world. Like that's that's not, uh, but in order that the world might be saved. Because the world has a great way of condemning us. I don't know about you, but uh, every day of my life, I'm kind of reminded of how I don't measure up in one way or the other. Right. And, and just when I think I've got it all figured out, I'm doing really well, um, I'm, I'm, I'm cut off uh, at the legs. And I had a moment of, uh, of sort of insight, and I shared this in a Sunday school in a recent column that I wrote, but uh, it was a couple, about a week and a half before Christmas, and I had two of my daughters uh, in the back seat, and we're driving down the road, and Lily, the oldest, uh, Mary Cavill was kind of rattling off what she wanted for Christmas, and I mean, the list started getting pretty long, and... Well, I said, Mary Cowell, I don't know. I got a funny feeling about Christmas this year. And she said, she's almost five. And she said, she goes, we've been real bad. I don't think we're getting anything. <laughs> I just let that hang in the air for a minute. Actually, I never said anything about it. Uh, I just let them. And and so, and I just thought, that's that's pretty remarkable. Now, with my kids, I don't know, but for me, like when I was growing up, I, I was always nervous about Santa Claus, weren't you? I mean, there's a sense that no matter, but what I would do is like two weeks before Christmas, I'd be like, all right, Andrew, game face, get it together, buckle down, be good. Like, I mean, you know, come on, baby, Santa grade on a curve. You know, maybe he's got a short memory and he can only remember what I've done the past two weeks. <laughs> My kids are the opposite. They're like, we have been crap all year. You ain't seen nothing yet. Let's do it. And they have just been awful. They told some babysitter they were going to knock their head, her head off. They... <laughs> They, they've been calling every adult by their first name, including me. Uh, and, and it's not like, hey, it was the other day, it was like, hey, Andrew, how about some toast? I'm like, I'll give you some toast. And they think, and they're funny and they're cute and it's hard not to, to love them, but like they're awful. They're terrible children. They're trying to kill me. Like literally, they bring home germs and they're just smart Alex and uh, they don't listen. And it's, it's, so there you have it. So. They, they, so now all of a sudden Mary Cavill's eyes are welling up because she's like, big sister is just so we ain't getting jack. And I'm like, you don't deserve anything, right? 
And, you know, she's looking at me. I'm looking in the rearview mirror. Mary Campbell's looking to me for some word of comfort, and I give her nothing. Right? <laughs> so I didn't say a word. I didn't plant that in them. I didn't say, y'all been bad. You're not getting anything for Christmas. They just, they just knew that if their lives were laid out before the great throne of judgment in the North Pole, they're getting, they're on the naughty list. Right? <laughs> so all of us, like if we're really honest with ourselves, uh, are, know that we're already under condemnation. Right. Everybody in this room has looked at themselves in the mirror at one point or another, or maybe even often, and wished that you were somebody else, or that you were different. Uh, and and that's the, the truth of human existence. So Christmas morning rolls around uh, at our house. It's not the best morning of the year for me. I've just worked incredibly late. Uh, I come home to have to put together something like a fairy cottage that says snaps together in five easy minutes, and, and that's a that's a lie. That's a, <laughs> five Asian minutes means five hours in American time, and um, and so I've not gotten a lot of sleep. Uh, but they woke up the next morning, and I could hear Lily. Normally they run, but this morning she, I heard the floorboard. She just kind of creeped out, and she screamed. He came. He actually came and then there was great rejoicing in Whoville and uh, and what was really great about the whole sort of couple weeks leading up to that and and that Christmas morning is there was no I knew it I knew that he would come and the fact that they received gifts was not the sense like oh Santa Claus grades on a curve right that that wasn't at all but Lily understood I didn't deserve it but I got it like there was a sense of, whoa, like I, I, I didn't expect it. And in fact, I'm afraid that if she had walked out there and we had done nothing, there would have been sort of this very sad, silent resignation. Uh, but instead, she received, uh, she received gifts. And in no way did she indicate that she was kind of like, great, repeat next year. <laughs> right? Uh, there, there wasn't any of that. And... That's why I'm kind of a fan of, I think I've told you all this before, I don't like the Easter Bunny tooth fairy. That just creeps me out. Like, I don't want some winged old woman creeping in my room and, you know, putting stuff under my pillow and taking my teeth. That's just weird. Uh, but, but there's something about Santa Claus, this whole notion of grace, um, this one-way love that while we were unlovable, uh, God loved us. And with... And without any sense of or expectation of reciprocation. Now, um, in life, uh, this is um, this is where it gets hard. Jesus later on uh, tells his disciples, gives them a great commandment: uh, uh, love one another as I have loved you. And and that's actually in uh, in the reading for Maundy Thursday. Um, a new commandment uh, I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And what Jesus is giving his disciples at that point is what you might call the platinum rule. Right? Uh, we all know, uh, what's the golden rule? Right, yeah, treat other people as, as you would like to be treated. And then, you know, you've got like a bronze rule, 
an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? That's that's kind of uh, the bronze rule. Um, but I mean, and the world would be a better place if everybody lived by the golden rule: uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But in, and Jesus is for that rule, but he perfects it in the platinum rule. Because think about the golden rule for a minute: do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which means treat other people in the way that you would like to be treated. I can't help but think that there's a little bit of self-centeredness to that because um, maybe I don't want to be treated in the way that you want to be treated, right? I mean, the things that, that I would want done for me, you may not want done uh, for you. And so Jesus uh, comes along and says, uh, love one another as I have loved you, which means a completely selfless, emptying love of putting yourself completely aside and giving yourself wholly, other, wholly to the other person. That, that's radical and that's huge. And it's impossible. Right? It's, it's impossible for us to remove ourselves from the situation altogether. And yet that's exactly uh, what Jesus uh, did for us. Um, he loved us in a way with no self-interest and simply loved us as we are. So let's go back to the dating relationship once again. So, I mean, there comes a point in all of our, uh, in, in a dating relationship, you know, when you first start out dating, you're, you care about the way you look, you know, look in the mirror, and, you know, you, you, even guys are like, did I wear this the last time I saw her? And, um, you know, the, the girls go out of their way to, to, to look really nice. And you take the girl to really nice places and, um, and you, you hold, you know, chairs out and you push them in and you hold open doors and you know there comes a point uh, after doing this for maybe a month or two where you think I'm not sure how much longer I can keep this up right I mean because at some point you have to that it's not that that's not you right it's it, it is you but it's not the real you like it's not a total picture of who you are uh, because uh, you've only seen one another at your best you've seen one another in your a game and it's really easy to like somebody, to even love somebody who's always bringing their A game, right? And that's why people in relationships be like, you're not the same person I fell in love with. Well, of course not. They're not, right? Because you fell in love with them when they were awesome, and now they stink, right? That's what happens. And um, and that's, that's, that's another mortifying point, because at that point, like, you are yourself, and here is this person who has seen you in your A-game, and all of a sudden you're yourself, and what is their response? And one of two things normally happens. They either say, whoa, I'm at, right, I unplug the phone, don't call me ever again, I've got an exam tomorrow, I don't want to hear from you, get out of my life, I don't like what I say. Right? That's an incredible position of, of vulnerability. Right? To be seen uh, as you are, and I, I, I want to say at your worst, but that's really who you are. Right? You're not who you are at your worst, but it's part of who you are. And um, that's one way. Or the person sees you as you are in the worst possible light, and they stick around. Now, if they stick around and they s see you in that moment and they say, I love you, marry them immediately. Right? Pretty much. That's, that would be my recommendation. Marry them. Uh, I mean, because that, that's real love. Love is not loving someone in their A game. And the radical thing about Jesus and the gospel message that 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, is that while we were at our worst, while we were hating God more than we ever have by killing his son, what was his response to us? I love you more than I ever have since the dawn of time. That, and God had every right to say, I've sent the prophets, you kill them. I send my son, you kill him. I'm done with you. I'm completely done with you. And yet, that's not his reaction. His reaction is to see us as we are in our brokenness and our failure to live up and just the mess that we are in life and says, I love you, full stop. He doesn't say, I love you, but, right? That's, that's condemnation, right? And typically when somebody, I don't know, anybody, sometimes somebody says, hey, I've got, would you like to receive some constructive criticism? Right? Of course, I love constructive criticism. Yes, poor, no, nobody likes to hear, and it's never, it's always, it always tears you down, right? So can I give you a little pointer? Um, um, typically, anytime somebody tries to give you some sort of corrective or, or helpful hint, um, it, it it's rarely ever helpful. It, it makes you feel small, and it, it makes you feel like, uh, that, uh, that that I mean that that one chick in the armor actually uh, outweighs anything good uh, that you might uh, bring uh, to the table. And um, one of the things about love, especially in a human relationship, is that um, let's just use marriage as an example. Your spouse, no one else in the world, can make you feel as loved and as awesome and is confident as a spouse. But because your spouse knows you so well, no one can make you feel more small and miserable and undone in the world as your spouse, right? Because they know you through and through. And I mean, we all do this. If you've ever been in, um, if you know someone well enough and beyond dating, beyond marriage, I mean, even in friend relationships, if you know somebody well enough, you know what to say to the person to absolutely tick them off. You know the torpedo to use that this will totally destroy them, right? And you say it just because you're like, let's rumble, right? Or like you're, you're about like, you can see the fight storm looming on the horizon and you think, as long as I don't say this, it'll be fine and the storm will pass over. And then all of a sudden you're like, ah, get back in my mouth. Like, you know, you're, you're just spewing it out and you can't help yourself. Um the difference, uh, and, and it's impossible in in human relationships. It always feels very tit for tat, right? Um, and even in friendships, like, well, I I paid for lunch last time. It's time for you to pay for lunch, or or I feel like you're always unloading on me, and you never you never hear what I have to say. Uh, or why is it we always talk about this when when I'd like to talk about this? Uh, but the difference is that it, with God, it's never ever tit for tat. Like it's God constantly sacrificing himself for you when you definitely don't deserve it. Right? So, so God's love for us and love, real love in this world is, is one way, 
without any expectation of reciprocation. If you're doing anything for somebody in order to elicit a response from them or to try to get them uh, to love you back, uh, that's going to be a really frustrating endeavor. I try that a lot. Right? I try it with my kids. I, I try it with my wife. Uh, I try it at work. And, and that's why people say things like, no good deed goes unpunished. Right? Because if you're doing something nice for someone to try to elicit something out of them, it'll never work. It'll never work. And the other problem is that it's really hard uh, for the world in which we live in to receive love. Right? I, I noticed this, um, this sort of give and take uh, in, in our culture. Every once in a while when I'm listening to NPR and they'll do an interview, um, when um, on the one hand, like I've, it's very rare that I hear anyone say, you're welcome anymore. Right, when someone says thank you, you say, you're welcome. But like I even said, today I got into this conversation with someone and they said, oh, well, well, thank you. And I said, no, thank you. Right, which is so stupid, right? No, thank you. Thank, no, thank you. Um, uh, and, um, and so it, it's this, uh, it, it's really hard because to say you're welcome, it's actually to um, allow someone to, to thank you for something. And, and that makes us feel uncomfortable uh, in the same way that it's really hard for us to accept one way love from somebody because it is our, to, I mean, it's good to want to do something in return. It's good to want uh, to love them back. Uh, but the funny thing about it is, is that God doesn't expect, right? I mean, if you're in a relationship with him, uh, he says, I simply want you to delight in the love that I have for you and bask in it. You don't have to do anything in return. I'm not at, like, hey, if you want to go on a mission trip, that's awesome. Go on a mission trip, but I'm not going to love you anymore for it. And when you blow it, I'm not going to love you any less. Right? My, my love for you is not contingent. It's not tit for tat. It's not, uh, well, you went to Sunday school today and you read your Bible. I love you a little bit more than I did yesterday. And then the next day you don't do your quiet time. And then God says, I don't love you as much as I did yesterday. <laughs> right? It, it's not, it's not like that. Um, because, um, because of what, uh, Jesus has done for us through the cross. Um, God sees us in the same way He sees His Son. Right? He can't help but look at us uh, through the lens of Jesus, and and simply delight in us, even when we know that the truth of the matter is we're in rough shape. Right? We 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 are. God has every reason uh, to feel let down. Uh, God has every reason to be like you are a bad friend, like the worst friend. Um, I was uh, in Charleston one day, it was a Saturday, and I was on King Street, which is the busiest part of Charleston, uh, foot traffic, real close to College of Charleston, College of Knowledge, and, um, and then there are lots of great stores and things like that, and I have a lot of buddies who are serving in the church in Charleston, and one in particular is, is just the worst friend ever. I mean, he's a friend, but he's the friend who, like, you see the phone ring, and you're like, I don't think so. Um, but then you know you're kind of delaying the inevitable because eventually you got to call him. And then when you call him back, he's like, who is this? I didn't even, no, it can't be Andrew. Like, I mean, it, I mean, he's like, yes, it's me. And you have to kind of play the game. And, and he's like, oh, I thought you might be dead. I thought you might, you know, and it's like, and you're just like, man, you re- I really want to be your friend right now. Like, actually, I, I, I'm going to kill you. Uh, and, and so I don't really want to be his friend. And one day I was walking uh, down King Street and he calls, and I'm just like, I'm having too much fun to talk 
to Matt. And so I clicked it off, put it in my pocket. I looked at the phone, clicked it off, put it in my pocket, and I started walking. And all of a sudden I hear, Andrew, Andrew. And I look over on Smith Street, and there is my friend Matt going like this. Right, he, just, he just called me. And I ran. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we, had, we had a very real conversation about because I finally had I said, look, I need to be honest with you. I, you, I hate talking to you uh, on the phone. And, but I couldn't help but think, like, um, a lot of people think that that's the way God is. Like that, that God, you know, that he's sort of the, the friend. And, I mean, the thing about Matt is that he's always right. He's always right. Like all of his advice is so great, and he's always like, "Well, you know what you ought to do." And, and I mean, I really never want to hear it, but but he's right. And kind of, there's a, there's a sense in which he's always right that it just makes me mad and it's sick and disgusting. And um, and a lot of people kind of think of God that way. That that you know when when you get on your knees and say, "God, you know, I haven't I haven't prayed in a long." I mean, you don't have to get on your knees. You just start praying and say, "God, I haven't prayed to you." And that God is like, "Who is this?" <laughs> Oh, you're there? Oh, I thought we were friends. Like, hey, you normally ignore me when I call. You're a terrible friend. That's uh, that's not God. God is always, I mean, he's going to consistently and furiously go after you because he loves you. And he's like the friend that, and you all, I hope, have friends like this. You couldn't talk for six months to a year, and when you get together, it's like no time had passed. Like, everything just clicks and you're back together, and there's no sense of guilt of, if there's if there's any sense, it's like the sense of the only sense of guilt is this was awesome, we should talk more often, right? But there's never this this condemnation or, uh, but that's because those relationships are marked by love, right? And in love, uh, there is no condemnation, right? Because condemnation insinuates that there's obligation, and in love. You can't use uh, obligation. Just simply isn't something that's that that's on the on the table. Because if it becomes obligation, it's not love. Like I mean, you're obligated to love me. Really? Tell me more about that. Uh, but uh, what you see in Christ is this self-giving platinum love, which um, you know, as Paul says in Philippians, that he's he empties himself. Uh, uh, and comes and dwells among the empties himself of everything but love, right? He puts all of his glory and all of his power on hold in order to come and rescue us, who are the worst of the worst. And that's who he's interested in in rescuing. That's why, that's why when his ministry starts, he's primarily followed around by the religious establishment, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, right? Those are those are the people who are really into Jesus, like we see here in Nicodemus, right? They're the people approaching Tell Us More. But as his ministry goes on, those people start to ebb away, and the group that really gains momentum are what they call the sinners and the tax collectors, right? Prostitutes, the worst of the worst, um, now, why is that? Because they hear this message of one-way love, and it is so sweet to their ears because they know there's no way that they can give it back. And they long for a love that will meet them where they are and love them where they are and take them where they need to go. Whereas the Pharisees and the scribes thought, I bring something to the table in this relationship, and it's pretty awesome. 
right? And and God is just not interested in spiritual resumes, right? He's interested in in the brokenhearted. He's interested in people who look at themselves in the mirror and say, uh, "I'm not cutting it." Uh, and uh, those are the people uh, that really are able to understand the gospel uh, because they they long and they want uh, one-way love. We're going to talk about this as we wrap up uh, in weeks to come. But that's one of the things that that I think is so interesting about marriage, and that. Um, what marriage is primarily about, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag, is is gospel reenactment, right? That that Paul says the closest thing that we have here on earth to showing the world how much God loves us is marriage. Now that's very scary, right? For Christians especially, and everyone's overwhelmed because most people think that Christian marriage is like, well, Andrew's a minister, and Lauren will lead a Bible study, and she'll make cucumber sandwiches, and Andrew will coach little league baseball, and they are just such sweet Christians. Fun, so fun. Anyway, right? That's what people think that Christian marriage. But what Christian marriage is about is if it's about gospel reenactment, it's about broken people, and one person deserves to just be kicked to the curb, to be told that they are not cutting it. But then love kicks in that is one way and says to the person who is unlovable, "I love you." Right? That's a powerful witness to the world. Right? It's a, marriage is actually about a certain level of transparency to say, yeah, we, we fight. Right? If any couple comes in for premarital counseling with me and they say, we never fight. I say, okay, one of two things is happening. Either one, you're lying to me, or two, somebody is incredibly passive in this relationship and is letting the other person get away with something they really don't want them to get away with, and eventually they will murder you. Right? <laughs> So let's be honest. <laughs> What's it going to be? Um, but uh, so I mean, you fight, and, and that's and that's all part of it. But that is is what. And, and one of the things that you see uh, at like rehearsal dinners is typically the guys roast one another, but the girls who are not married yet stand up and they talk about how wonderful the the, the bride is and and how sweet they are. And, and there's a sense, and you can hear it in the toast that, um, and if we're all honest with one another, that, that there's something neat about going to a wedding and seeing a couple that you know really well getting married, and your heart says, that's what I want. Right? That's, I, I, want to, I want to be able to find somebody uh, who will love me uh, in that way. Right? And, um, and so that, that's why the Bible puts forward marriage as the ultimate uh, example of that. Uh, but in order to understand uh, where we go from here with relationships and family, we ultimately need to understand the nature of God's love for us. And uh, as I close up, uh, love is a funny word uh, in our vocabulary. Uh, in one word, I, in one breath, I can say, I love my wife and I love cheeseburgers, right? Well, clearly, I love my wife. Um, Five Guys is pretty good, but um, uh, but but I clearly love my wife uh, more than cheeseburgers. Uh, the Greeks had uh, a couple words for love, um, and and it's they're used interchangeably throughout uh, the New Testament, and Jesus Jesus uses them all. One is uh, uh, phileo, which is filial love, where we get the word uh, Philadelphia, the city of. Come, Thank you. Social studies, seventh grade, kicking in. Had a girl. Uh, city of brotherly love. So it's like you know, if if I um, uh, like if I went up to you and said, Mary Duncan, 
I love you. Like you'd be like, weird. But if I said, hey, I, I filet you, you'd be like, yeah, I filet you too. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's sort of like a like brotherly, sisterly sort of thing. Uh, another word uh, that the Bible uses uh, is eros, uh, which is where we get the word erotic. But it, do, it doesn't mean just sort of the sexual love. It also means sort of a passionate, intense love. So it can mean something other than, um, than the sexual aspect of it. And then there's a word that is really kind of uh, singular uh, to Christianity and its overly frequent use, uh, and that is agape, right? And that is the love that Jesus is talking about uh, to his disciples in John 15, where he says, uh, agape one another as I have agaped you. Like that love uh, was considered by the Greek philosophers to be so far out of reach it was just out there. It was used very rarely, and yet the New Testament uses it over and over again because love has actually now come near. And not only, I mean, you can actually experience agape love, and because you're able to experience it, you're actually able to share it, and you will catch glimpses of it in your life. But in order to know that, in order to know that love, you first have to know Jesus. Right? You have to be able to experience his love for you in order to understand that self-emptying love for the other people in your life and to be able to experience that. And the way that you experience it is in your life that when you do get into a place where you do are totally under condemnation, uh, what you need to be told is not more condemnation. Right? I know that when I'm feeling particularly down in the dumps, uh, I have a family member who um, my family and friends are just fodder for, for sermon material, but um, uh, who who says, you know, buck up, you know, maybe you need to try a little bit harder. You know, they might send me a self-improving book or something like that. And I, I, it typically is just a reminder of how much a failure I am. How about you? I make, I'm a list maker. And what I find at the end of the day when I look at my list is it just reminds me of how much I didn't do. Right? Where I'm just like, okay, new list tomorrow. And it's just like certain, it just, it lists remind me of, of my shortcomings. And it's in those moments where it's not like, I need a new list system. Right? I need to go to a Franklin Covey seminar. You know, I need to add another calendar to my iCloud. I've already got 12 colors working right now, maybe 14. Um, Apple is going crazy with me because I'm like, can't y'all add another color? And they're like, no. Like, how many more colors do you need? Um, two. I need two. Um, so, but real, what the Bible says is that in those moments when you're under condemnation, um, what you need to be reminded of is God's love for you. And that it's one way. And he comes into your brokenness to rescue you. He doesn't wait for you to crawl out of your brokenness. He actually comes, picks you up, and rescues you and carries you out of your brokenness. So that's the groundwork. We went a little long tonight. Um, but that's the groundwork. As we move forward, uh, we're going to pick up and start talking about relationships uh, next week. No, actually, no. Three-day weekend next week. We'll pick up the next Monday. So, all right. Questions, comments, concerns? Okay, sinners, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your agape love for us and that you emptied yourself in order that we might be saved. And Lord, it's hard for us to believe in a love uh, that is one way. Um, We often feel like we don't deserve it, and sometimes we think we deserve it a little too much. Uh, But Lord, we pray that our hearts would be uh, in awe of what you've done for us and that we would be like the little girl who wakes up on Christmas morning uh, 
expecting nothing, uh, but to realize that she's been given uh, everything uh, through you. In Jesus' name, amen.